You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Tracy Ashdale, Executive Director of Girls on the Run, Southeastern Suburban Pennsylvania, and author of the upcoming book, Switching Lanes, looking at where we are, where we want to be, and what barriers are getting in the way. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Now, tell us a little bit about Girls on the Run. What is your 30-second elevator pitch? So we inspire girls to be healthy, joyful, and confident. And we do that using a fun experience-based curriculum, which creatively integrates running. And we really, at the heart of who we are, we envision a world where every girl knows and activates her limitless potential so she's free to boldly pursue her dreams. Now, give us a little bit of specifics here. What age are we talking about and how many girls are there? So the girls that participate in the program are between ages of eight and 14 years old. We have two programs. One is our elementary school program, and that's Girls on the Run. And our middle school program, which is sixth to eighth grade, it's called Heart and Soul. And so the curriculums are two separate curriculums. And it's a 10-week program, and we're based out of majority of our programs run after school. We're in some YMCA, some community centers, churches, synagogues, parks. And we've served close to 15,000 girls over the last 16 years. And so typically, like last spring, I should say this upcoming year, we hope to reach our spring seasonal hit, probably 2,500 girls will participate. So anybody out there, if your girls are looking for some opportunities to develop some mental, emotional, and physical fitness... Check it out. What is? How do you connect the confidence-boosting curriculum with running? What's the connection? So it's very integrative. And the lessons are, for example, we have three sections, if you will, to our curriculum. The first is helping the girls look at who they are in relation to themselves, how they develop, nurture, and maintain a healthy relationship with themselves, and what happens when that doesn't go so well. And then the second piece is who they are in relation to others. How do they develop, nurture, and maintain healthy relationships with other people? And what happens when that doesn't go so well? And then the third component is who are they in relation to the community? And how do they give back in a meaningful, impactful way and develop some leadership skills in the process in a collaborative team effort? And so that is all happening because we are we're developing their emotional muscles while we're developing their physical muscles as well. So every lesson involves verbal dialogue, but also physical. So for example, we have one lesson where we're talking about comfortable and uncomfortable feelings. And you know, there's a coach, two of the coaches might be standing a hundred yards away from the girls and they have an envelope with situations in there that describe comfortable or uncomfortable feelings. And they're running back and forth and they're partnering up with their partner to talk about the situation. 
Is that a comfortable, uncomfortable feeling? What would I do if it was uncomfortable? And then they're running back. Nice. So, and they build up to a particular event, don't they? They do. So we're training them to run a 5K event by the end of the 10 weeks, non-competitive. And all of our teams and girls come together to have this celebratory event. And so, you know, being a hundred schools and, and have thousands of girls and their running buddies and coaches and family members participating with them. And can community members who don't have a child in the program participate in these 5Ks as well? Are they fundraisers or are they just open community events? It is open to the public, yes. We have a sort of an adjunct program to Girls in the Road, which is called Soulmates. So we have people in the community who are training to run any event. It doesn't have to be ours, but we do have lots of Soulmates runners who run an R5K and they basically train for a certain period of time toward any event and an accomplishment and they're raising money for girls for scholarships for our program. And just to be clear, that's Soulmates, S-O-L-E, yes? Yes. Okay. So if, at the end of today, if you are as inspired as I think you're going to be out there, please check out Girls on the Run. We'll give you the website at the end and see perhaps you'll want to be a soulmate as well or otherwise see how you can support this incredible organization. So Tracy, with all of this, what's your favorite part of your job and why? Favorite part of my days and my work over the years really is it's getting to know the girls, the coaches, our stakeholders, the families, and really noticing that we're, we're all so different, but yet we're all so much alike and embracing that. And honestly, when there's a challenge with a family or a coach or anybody that's involved in the organization, my favorite part is being able to have a resolution that embraces the values of our organization and to talk about it so that we were really living what we do every day here and particularly me. And what are some of those core values? So embracing our differences and really allowing ourselves to have space for that because there's, as we know today, that is very challenging and the most often what we do is when we see something that's different, we think it's not okay. And that one in particular resonates with me and has been, for me, the biggest growth opportunity in having that core value present for me in, in everything I do with Girls on the Run. Yes, yes. Now, with all that, and, and you've been there for how many years? 17 years now? And what is one of the big issues of the day today? You mentioned the embracing diversity as it is work. What's one of the big issues that you're dealing with today? And how do you have to adjust your messaging when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? I think right now, one of the biggest challenges for Girls on the Run and in general in this arena is that we're in a mental health crisis like we've never seen before. And we're working with kids between the age of eight and 14 years old. And Girls on the Run was really set up initially by Molly Barker, who's the founder, and she targeted, we often get asked why that age, she targeted reaching girls this age because this is typically the age where girls begin to start thinking about their external self and they, they're less focused on their internal self. And so they enter their pre-adolescent years and often are moving away from sports and into beauty and fashion and all of the external things. And so what happens is there's sort of a disconnect, right? And we at Girls on the Run bring that back. We have the girls in a space for 90 minutes twice a week where there's no technology. It's face-to-face, voice-to-voice, and helping 
these girls really unpack all that's ruminating in their head, that they have no place to unleash it. And especially today, because they're so engrossed in social media and technology all day long, there's not a lot of quiet space for kids today and a lot of time to let things sort of evolve for them naturally. A lot is imposed on them. So at Girls on the Run, we have a challenge, but we also have a gift. If I would put that you know, out in the space that we, while we're in a serious mental health crisis and one in four kids is on some sort of antidepressant or anti-anxiety medication right now, Wait, I want to I want to clarify that or, or reiterate that. I want to make sure people who are driving or prepping dinner or something didn't miss that. One in four kids, by kids we're talking in anybody under the age of 18 effectively, is on some sort of medication for anxiety, depression, or some other mental health. Did, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, approximately one in four. And you know, at Girls on the Run, we're a prevention program. We're not a treatment program. And that's really what sets us apart. And there's lots of treatment programs in this country. We happen to be a treatment society more so than a prevention society. And yes. that is one of the things that ha- that drew me to Girls on the Run to begin with. And I have three girls. I'm one of three girls. And understanding what girls go through at a young age and how it shapes who they are and how they move through the world is so critical. And if we can meet them at this age and introduce to them some of the concepts in terms of self-care and relationships and how to recognize things when when they're not okay and how to actually use your voice in an appropriate way to advocate for yourself or other people. Half the battle is gone. And so when we meet with schools or, or potential sponsors, for us, girls on the run, the girls are happy. They look joyful. We're building confidence in them. And that's not always easy. You know, with the schools, it is. They want that. The schools want that, obviously. And lots of schools are implementing positive youth development programs like ours. But when we're talking to stakeholders, a lot of people want to invest in, you know, children that look like they're really deprived or they're very sad or they're in need of a lot. And for us, we want to prevent that from happening. We want to be on the front end and so the girls can march through their life and not have to face drug and alcohol abuse, potential promiscuity, teen pregnancy, depression, anxiety, and minimize the risk for that. Yes, yes. And it's not to say that the children who are already in those deep states of imminent need don't deserve and otherwise need that kind of help and investment, but they just shouldn't be the only ones. We don't want to wait until kids get to that point to start to address the needs. So thus, the preventive, positive action steps that Girls on the Run provides, as opposed to waiting until treatment is necessary, at which point it's, from this perspective, too late. You've already, they've already hit crisis stage. Yeah. And it's much easier on the front end to help kids develop those skills and build those emotional muscles, if you will, than it is to unravel them, you know, yes. after there's been some some difficult times. So how do you you mentioned that some schools are more receptive to this than others, but when you're talking about the challenge of mental health, how do you, you know, understanding that you need to quote unquote sell the idea, you need to encourage and recruit girls for the program, but you also need to recruit schools to participate, sponsors, et cetera. How do you address that mental health challenge to those two different groups, schools and sponsors versus the girls or other participants, for example, because obviously both, it affects both. But I would imagine that you can't quite use the same statistical pitch for both. Yeah, well, with the schools, 
we are the only research evidence-based positive youth development program in the country. And so that makes people feel really confident. And our curriculum is, and I use this, I don't use this in a negative way, but it's intense and it's intense in a good way. It's very structured. It's very interactive, very didactic, fun. I mean, to be honest with you, most of our coaches, including myself, when I first coached, I felt I felt unleashed when I was coaching. Like I felt like I could access that nine-year-old girl in me and it felt refreshing. So most of the schools, for the most part, it's a breath of fresh air to have us come in and have this as an adjunct, if you will, or support for their students. And then the teachers that coach, so we have a lot of teachers that coach, for them to have this repertoire in their classroom and with the girls also is extraordinarily helpful. And then with our stakeholders, like I was alluding to before, for most often people don't really understand. They think we're a running program. So they see girls in the run, I think we're solely a running program. So once for us, we always have a better opportunity when we're sitting in front of somebody and we really, like I am with you, have let people understand the depth and breadth of the organization. Because even our coaches, when they first sign up to coach and then after they leave coaches training, they say, oh my goodness, I had no idea what I was getting into. I really thought I was going to be sort of a motivator and run along with the girls and, you know, give them some positive reinforcement. And we're so much more than that. Yes. Yes, absolutely. In having to learn how to do this, like you mentioned, it's not just about the running coach. So uh, the running part of coaching communication wise, what's something that you are really good at and what's something you wish you were better at? Well, I'll start with what I think I, I need to get better at because I've been told before and I, one of my coaches actually many, many years ago, and she's still with me today from Angela Assumpt Academy. She was actually, they were the second school. And one year she called me and she said, you do so many things well. She said, and one of the things I love about you is that you, you always have a plan and you always execute, but you don't always inform people along the way. You're just, mm. you're just going. And it's true. It's true. And I, I do get told that often. And so for me to slow down and get really methodical in terms of what's going to happen, who needs to know, when do they need to know, who needs to be accountable, who's responsible, those kinds of things. And that kind of mentality for me is a work in progress. And so what's something that you're really good at then as a communicator that is? I think I what I'm really good at, and it, it's taken a lot of work, and you and I've spoken about this, is speaking from my heart and getting out of my head. I think it's taken a long time for me to do that. And it's when I am my most authentic and and really in my best space is when I slow down and I speak really from my heart and I can get out of what I think I need to do or what I think I need to say. And that's when I feel most connected to people. Yes. Yes. And it can be difficult to get out of the head. I think that's some, that's a challenge that so many of us face as it's part of what I like to refer to as the expert's curse, where we know too much and we get really lost in the focus of the importance of what's what we're trying to convey to people. And we lose that connection with the heart. And when you lose the connection with the heart, that's usually where we lose the connection with the people. But it sounds like you, it's something that you are have really tapped into. And I, I from the first time that we ever spoke, I knew that that was where you leave. You wouldn't have been with this group for 17 years, if not driven by that heart. And that's I think that's beautiful. Now, what about style shifting. How have you learned to shift your speech style or your approach to connect with different groups effectively? And what do those differences look like? Was it ever hard? Yes, definitely. One of the biggest challenges for me in over the last, I would say my whole career, really in the last 30 years has been, and particularly with girls on the run, has been 
meeting people where they're at and not where I think they should be or what my lens is. And so in doing that, I work with a variety of people from young kids to teenagers, to adults, to elderly. And then I have people that are volunteers. I have staff, I have a board, I have stakeholders and slowing down and taking the time to really get to know and understand people and see their window into things has been really my, a lesson for me and has helped me make better decisions really and bring people together in a way that I'll give you one example. Sure. This is many, many years ago. It's just coming to me, but I had this random idea. I had two running stores locally that wanted to partner with us. This is probably year three or four. And I, I said, great. And both of them were local. One was 10 minutes away. One was five minutes away. And after meeting with both of them, I thought, you know what? Maybe I should expand this. And, and there's like five running stores. And I was in two counties, you know, serving two counties here at Girls on the Run. And it's far for people across the both counties. And why wouldn't I just invite everybody to partner and let them get involved? And we can get really creative about how we do this. And one of the closest one to my office said, absolutely not. Why? Why would I allow you to market with other people and, and take business away from me? And, and I said, you know what? Give me a chance. Let's all have a breakfast together. And let's just talk about how this could be really successful and what some of the challenges might be. And let's just shake it out. For the next 15 years, we had a partnership with all of them. Wow. And everybody left the brunch and said, I've never done anything like this before. And it's always been about competition and something shifted in that room. And that taught me a lot about working with people's personalities, if you will, mm. and people's egos and people's worries and the threats. And so I take that with me. I have taken that example. I took with me over the years into many different situations to, to just realize that similar to the girls in the run days, that we all, while we have different agendas or we all want to accomplish our own goals, when we come together, we can be more successful. And really it was that for all the partners in the end. Yes. So I'm curious with the understanding that obviously one of their concerns or if not their only and primary major concern is why would I work with somebody who's my competition? What was the the revelation that they came to or that you provided to them or that everyone came to as a group that helped them see that the benefit of all being sponsors of this organization together was actually to their advantage rather than to their detriment? The biggest thing that stood out to me was that when our stakeholders see, in other words, if I have somebody that lives local right by the office and they're going to go into store A, right, because it's close, but store A now has a, a friendly relationship with store B, who's 10 miles away. She doesn't have the product and can't get it. And she says, you know what? I'm going to refer you to my colleague who's in X town. Why don't you run over there and tell her I sent you? Okay. And so what happens is the customer feels amazing, feels like, wow, she's actually sending me her competitor. I really like this woman and mm -hmm. I'm going to still be a customer of hers. And I'm going to this other store now. And the merchant, this store owner now feels like, wow, my competitor sent me a customer. I, I want to pay it forward to them when I have the opportunity to next. And so those types of things kept happening. And I can't describe to you the feeling that it brought with all of these store owners. And for me to see that, and our stakeholders felt so good. It created an environment of collaboration rather than competition. And that's what we are at the heart of Girls on the Run. 
in everything we do. And then you become problem solvers as opposed to just product providers. And that's a very different space. It, it actually reminds me, and I think I'm getting the right reference. I'm sure somebody out there listening will send me an email or, or post on the YouTube page or something if I've got the wrong movie. But it strikes me as the Macy's Gimbel's relationship back from, was it Miracle on 34th Street, where suddenly they were referring to each other and saying, well, you can't get this toy here for Christmas, but check over across the street. And the, the shock that you would do that, that it actually created such goodwill. So there, there's your miracle on any other street that, that girls will be running on. That's beautiful. And you know what? Laura, it reminds me of recently there's been some memes and some things about girls helping each other and women helping each other. And it's that. It's that we're better when we're supporting each other than when we're against each other or we're competitive with each other. And in this space with young girls, that's a huge lesson, especially with social media today. Yes. I guess overall, that is probably the most important distinction that I'm hearing with regard to the program that because with social media in particular, it's all about instant public gratification. You're doing everything possible for the sake of getting likes. You're actually begging for external validation. And there's a meter, there's a, there's visual quantitative competition. Am I liked literally with a like button and a thumbs up icon? Am I liked as much as this other person is liked? Do people like me today as much as they liked me yesterday? Will they like me tomorrow more than they like me today? I mean, that creates such a feeling of desperation for the need to be popular and to transform yourself into what or whomever you think that the rest of the world will appreciate more rather than who you really are and who you want to be. I think that it's so for girls and boys, for that matter, to be able to have these kinds of programs to teach them those that internal skill, the internal value and worth. It's so necessary to combat what is just this deluge that they see every day of, am I popular enough? Do enough people like me compared to anybody else? We were always worried about popularity in middle school. Like that never wasn't there and it never will go away, but we never had it so quantitatively and daily validated where you could watch it on your phone ticking up or not ticking up in real time. That's a terrifying notion as a parent. I can only imagine what it's like as a kid. Horrifying. And what really is happening as a result is that kids are actually less connected and feel more alone than ever. Very much so. And if anybody wants to really be terrified, go watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix, which is a documentary about basically the horrors of social media creating exactly what we're describing now. So we're going to get off of that. Anybody who wants more information about it, go check out that documentary, The Social Dilemma. But now that brings us, I think, to the notion of transparency and vulnerability and being able to show who you are. Tracy, you shared with me about a particular experience that's upcoming for you that required a little bit of deep digging and transparency with your organization. Did you want to share that with our audience today? Sure. So I have had, it's been obviously two and a half years of COVID and lots of unexpected twists and turns in running a business. What, how I described it is really like sort of changing the tires on a moving bus. That's what it's felt like. And lots of personal things going on. And I lost my mother suddenly. And mm. so I noticed things about myself this past spring that I haven't seen before or recognized. And I, I was beginning to get concerned. I, my memory wasn't as sharp as it was. And I, I just was not operating on all eight cylinders. I wasn't sleeping well. I was feeling irritable and cranky. and 
And I didn't have my gumption. I mean, I was always at five o'clock in the morning, get up and hop on the treadmill or go for a bike ride. And something was, was off in me. And I decided that while in 17 years, I've never had an away message on my email. Oh my God. Not 17 weeks or months, 17 years. You never actually put a, an out of office autoresponder? No. And only because my work has never felt like work. And I just, it's just the way I roll, have rolled, I should say, because that's changing. So I really just took some time and thought, if I don't do something now to slow down and create some space for me, I'm not sure what I'm going to look like in six months and my organization's going to look like. And so it was not easy. And once I said it out loud, I said, I'm going to take some time off this summer. I felt a sense of relief and almost like, yes, you have no choice. And so I called my board chair and I told her and I was crying. I was very emotional about it. Just to clarify, you weren't talking about taking a vacation time off. It was not like a week off. So what what did you mean by that? I said, I'm going to take about three weeks or a month off. And that was a big, 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 big leap for me. And this is both, uh, yes, vacation to rest, but also to kind of rejuvenate for your own mental health and physical health and ability to breathe and exhale and take care of yourself. Yes? Yeah. And what I really was craving and yearning was just to have quietness, nothingness, just nothingness. I had been for two and a half years, particularly in the last two and a half years, really on overdrive, like I've never been in my life. And like I said, I just was noticing things about myself that I was unrecognizable to myself and that I didn't want anything more to happen. You know, I, I didn't want to be flat out on a bed in a psychiatric hospital. I wanted to rejuvenate myself. And once I told my board chair and I said, this is not easy, I'm not coming by this decision lightly. And it's taking a lot of courage for me to call you and, and say this to you. Because a part of me feels like you might think that I can't handle my job or that I'm not enough and I'm not capable. And I said, even saying that to you is hard for me. And she was remarkable. And she said, I'm so happy for you that you had the courage to say this. And I, I think that you owe this to yourself and the organization. And what happened was I said to her, you know, I thanked her for saying that to me. And then I said, the truth is that if I don't do this, who am I really for this organization? Because this is what we're teaching the girls. And I've always felt and always said in all of my coaches trainings every year, we're the macro to the micro of this organization. My staff is to the coaches and the coaches are to the girls. And so it was in that moment that it felt like this is what this has all come to for me. Girls on the Run has been my life's work. It's been a platform for my life's work. And every year I learn just as the girls are learning these life skill lessons. And this is one, this was a big one for me. Yes. And I'm so glad to hear you share not just that you're taking that time, but what your internal monologue was that that was going on the the fear of admitting that we need a break that we need that silence that we need to take some time and the ability to then bring it to whoever the powers happen to be and being able to say i need this and i'm so glad that you've got such a strong board that they recognized 
the value that you bring and we're able to say, yes, take the time that you need to be who we need you to be and, and recognizing that good, healthy relationship. But most importantly, the point that as leaders, I think we often feel like to take off that kind of time or to do self-care. It, and we did this as parents as well, that the notion of self-care first, A is selfish and B is weak. And either way, it means it's not enough. I'm not doing enough for everybody else. But then what are we modeling? What are we modeling for our employees, for our direct reports, for our children, for whoever else? If it's that no matter what, I can take it, throw more at me, I can handle more stress, I can handle more pressure, I can handle more work, I can handle less sleep, I can handle more responsibility and not complain and not breathe. And if you're saying that this is what it takes to be in my role, you know, how can we then teach things like self-esteem curriculums, like healthy choices curriculums, much less anything else, when we're doing the do as I say, not as I do. So it's so good to hear that you are able to really live what you're teaching and be that role model. And I'm sure these are pieces that you'll be able to take and teach to your coaches and teach to the girls, either through the coaches or otherwise, this need for self-care and hopefully the the monologue that goes along with it. I, I think it's an incredibly powerful story. So thank you for sharing that with us today. So Laura, in terms of the two pieces that you highlighted, which was the feeling weak and also selfish in making these kinds of decisions to take care of ourselves, the weakness piece really speaks to me. That was what I was feeling, that somehow I would be seen or viewed as weak. And I really, in my heart of hearts, thought, if that's what it is, then that, that is what it is. I actually am feeling weak right now. And they need to know that. And they also know that I'm strong and resilient and I've been building this organization for 17 years. And, I, and in my bones, I know that I still have that in me, but I need to restore myself and I am feeling weak now. And I need the team to rally around and pick up the pieces while I restore myself. Yes, yes. It, thank you again for sharing all of this. People need to know that it's okay to do that. You have to be able to recognize it in yourself, be able to give it to yourself, to ask for it for yourself before we can give it to others as well, or expect them to be able to show those skills, those strengths, and those internal qualities. So here's a chance, actually, to challenge some people to do something else for themselves. Our listener 24-hour influence challenge. Tracy, how would you like to challenge our listeners today with one step that they can complete within 24 hours to help them have more influence? There's two things that I do in my life that have been very instrumental in helping me challenge myself. The first one, and if we don't have time, I won't share the second. The first one is, and I did this, started this with my coaches many, many years ago. At the end of their lesson, I asked them to just take a couple minutes and think about what their intention is for the next session. So for me, it's every day. What is my intention today? And then at the end of the day, I could say to myself, did I meet my intention? And if I did, great. How did I get there? What did I have to put in place to make that happen? And if I didn't, what got in the way? And you know, do I want to recommit to that intention or am I moving on? And so that is very grounding for me. And simultaneously, I intentionally set a breathe alert in my phone three times a day. And literally it's at nine, noon and six. And it just says breathe in my calendar and it goes off with a reminder. And it just, even if it's for 30 seconds, just to do some, you know, nostril breathing and just to be because we're moving, I'm moving, 
at a pace that sometimes is beyond what, what I should be doing. And what made me start to do that was many years ago when I first moved out of my office in my home and moved to an office for Girls on the Run, I would be walking out of the office, waving goodbye to everybody on a call on my way to go get my kids at school, like in the car talking, and then they would get in the car and I'd say, okay. And I would time it so that I had the 30 minute call for car line. And then they would get in the car and stuff, but I had no time to transition from work to just being, and then being with my girls. And that was a high price I paid for that in not being present because I I couldn't slow down enough to ask them about their day because I was still wrapped up in my day. And then the 10 other things I was going to do after they got on their soccer field or whatever, you know, and the calls I would make while I was sitting on the sideline. So those two things I think are good challenges and can definitely turn a day around for sure. And when we talk about setting daily intentions, is it a matter of a task that you want to complete or more about a mindset for the day? Or when you think of intention, what does it mean to you? For me, sometimes it's both. It can be one or the other. You know, some mornings, like this morning, I got up and my intention was to breathe more today Mm. because I had a just a lot going on yesterday and I have a very full week. And so my intention was to be aware of my breath today throughout the day. And so some days it's my intention is I said I was going to do these three things last week and I didn't get them done. And my intention today is by six o'clock, they're done. So it could be tactile or otherwise. And, and some honestly, sometimes my intention is call my kids today and tell them how much I appreciate them because we've been busy and everybody's been in their own direction. Okay. So either a to-do list kind of task, like remember to do this, whether it's work-related or a phone call or say thank you to somebody or give them an I love you, or it could just be a matter of the a mindset piece. You're going to remember to breathe more. You're going to remember to focus on gratitude or not letting something get the better of you or or not falling into whatever mental trap you find yourself on an occasionally recurring basis, for example. Sound about right? Yes. I'll tell you one of my most challenging intentions has Good. been is to not pick up my phone at a red light. Ooh. Hardest one yet. All right. I'm sending that one out to everybody. Regardless, you can pick a second one, but it's going to be a both and. You can either do this one on your own or just do this plus something else that you want. But for one day, when you're driving, don't pick up your phone at a red light. Try it. It's brutal. I, I see people like already the hair on the back of their neck or on their arms is starting to stand up. I love the challenge. That's fun. And you know what, Tracy? I think on that note, we're going to close for the day. That's a great high point challenge. So tell me, how can people learn more about you and about Girls on the Run? So Girls on the Run, you can go to G-O-T-R-P-A.org and you can find all you need to know about coaching, about programming, about sponsorship, about volunteering. And I can be reached at Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y dot Ashdale, A-S-H-D-A-L-E at girlsontherun.org, all spelled out. And we'll put that on the show notes and things as well. So that's G-O-T-R. And again, we'll, we'll spell this out later, P-A for those who are in Pennsylvania, but for anybody else who's across the nation, across the U.S., or is this international as well? It is. And you could just, if, you, if you're in another state or city, you could just go to girlsontherun.org. Great. And that's the full spell out, not G-O-T-R, girlsontherun.org. And I'm sure there, there's a listing that'll find the chapter nearest to you. Yes? Yes. 
Perfect. Perfect. So there's lots of different ways to sponsor or to get involved, to support the organization, even if you're not a runner. And by the way, I'm not, but I love doing 5Ks and those kinds of things. I never think of myself as a runner. I just do the activity. You are a runner. (laughs) Doesn't matter how far. It's funny. A year or two ago, I went for a new pair of shoes and the guy who was helping me at one of the local running stores said, so how long have you been a runner? And I said, well, I'm not really a runner. I, I don't even enjoy it, frankly. I just sort of do it because it's there. It's available. My schedule, whatever, gets me out of the house. And he said, well, how often do you run? I said, I don't know, three, maybe four times a week. He said, well, and how far do you go? I said, I, you know, probably three and a half, four miles as a sort of a standard loop for me. And I said, but I don't really, you know, again, enjoy it. I just sort of do it. And he laughed and he looks at me and he goes, you're a runner. Yes. He's like, it's not the runner. But, that he's like, you just described all of us. Most of us don't do it because we love it. It's just sort of something that takes over. And so I'm going to encourage everybody else out there to go for a walk, go for a run. And otherwise, even if you're not on your feet, support girlsontherun.org. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure, Laura. Thank you. And thank everybody else out there for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform of choice so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.